uh, it is supposedly non-perishable. It's supposed to last forever. Man, they've, they've uh, dug jars of honey out of the tombs of the pharaohs for the last couple hundred years. And some, some archaeologists have ran tests on it and tried to eat it and whatnot. And they said it's edible. Now, I, I don't know if I would want to eat 2,000-year-old honey on a biscuit, but I would eat 2,000-year-old honey on a biscuit. I'm, I'm, I, I would. Uh, look what the Bible says. Now, now, honey may be one of those imperishable foods. Maybe, maybe not. It changes consistency. It can granulate and things like that. But I do know one thing that never fails, that never never goes bad, it never expires, and the Word of God tells us exactly what that is. For all men are like grass, and all the glory are like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord, man, it stands forever. First Peter 1.25, your Word, O Lord, is eternal. It, it stands firm in the heavens. So the Word of God never goes bad, it never changes, it never expires. We can always count on it. Honey is one of those things, it may or it may not be, but even honey is mentioned in the Word of God that never goes bad. And this is what the Bible says about honey. How sweet are the words uh, upon uh, unto my taste, yes, sweeter than honey in my mouth. Psalmist says in Psalm 19, the judgments of the Lord, they're sweeter than honey. Not just any old regular honey, but honey from the comb. That stuff that tastes the sweetest. Now, how honey is made, man, it's an incredible process. These bees will go to a flower. They'll extract nectar. Uh, they will, they will uh, mix it with the saliva in their mouth. It goes into the honey sac that's inside the, the, uh, the bee. It's inside the honey sac within the bee. The saliva from the bee and the enzymes inside that honey sac it begins to transform that nectar into honey it will then go to the hive it will deposit the uh, the the uh, the, uh, the worker bee will deposit it in the hive now usually it's in a tree but if there's no trees around they'll look for anywhere they'll look for a barn they'll look for maybe an old car or crags in the rock and in israel there's a lot of trees uh in spots but usually it's just a lot of open ground, and it's hot, and there's a lot of rocks. So if, when the bees can't find a tree, they'll go to a crag in the rock, hole in the rock. So that's what they do. Um, and that's where they deposit it. Uh, the Bible says that uh, it, when honey is used in the Bible, it means something sweet, means something joyful, something that brings a smile to your face. Now, uh, some of y'all may not like honey, and we're praying for you. Uh, but if you, if, if you don't like honey, that, that's fine. But we can all agree that honey is sweet. So whether you like sweet things or not, we can all agree that honey is a sweet substance. It, it, it is what it is. Honey in the Bible is associated with sweet times, sweet moments, sweet memories, sweet anything. When Moses was having his conversation with, with God out in the, the wilderness, God comes to him and speaks to him in a burning bush. Now, at this time, Moses had already killed somebody in Egypt. He was living on, he left the country of Egypt. He was out in the desert tending sheep. And God comes to him. He says, man, I, I've got some ideas about them people in, uh, of, of Israel over there in Egypt. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to let them go. And I'm going to bring them to a land that's flowing with milk and honey. In fact, the Bible says in Exodus 3.8, And I came down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, their taskmaster, and to bring them up out of the land unto the good land. It's large. Unto a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. The whole idea of honey being associated with something good is 
starts early, early in the Bible. When God eventually brings them out of slavery and he's wanting to bring them to the land flowing with milk and honey, there's like a 40-year gap in there where they wandered in the wilderness because they turned their back on God. They wandered away from God. They didn't trust God. They didn't know that they questioned whether God was going to be good to them or not, that God was going to provide for them, that God was going to be faithful to them. And so for 40 years, they wandered around in this, this desert. And when God eventually brought them out, um, even in that 40 years when they were wandering in the desert, he didn't leave them alone. He gave them water from a rock. He gave them bread from heaven, uh, manna from heaven. Even though when they, even when they were in the rough spot in their life, God was still giving them honey. God was still blessing them even in the middle of the rocks. And I want you to listen to how uh, this went down. They were out there in the desert and there's no water. Duh. All right. You don't go to the desert to find water. There's just nothing there. So three million Jews have been freed from, from Egypt. They're out there in the desert. And nobody thought about bringing bottled water and everybody thought about bringing uh, barrels of water nobody thought about that they're out there three million people the kids are screaming the cattle are screaming the dogs got their tongues hanging out their mouth everybody's thirsty so they go to the preacher and they say dude what's all what's up with all this now at god's command the people of israel left the sin desert going by easy stages to rephidim but upon arrival there was no what there's not a drop of water anywhere. So once more, the people growled and complained to Moses. So we'll let you know this is their, their M.O. Give us water, they wailed. Quiet, Moses commanded. Are you trying to test God's patience? But, uh, but tormented by thirst, they cried out. Why did you take us out of Egypt to begin with? At least we had water there. You brought us out here into the desert, and now we're dying. Our kids are dying. Our cattle are dying. We need something to drink. All we got is all these stupid rocks. Okay. They go to Moses with all that, and they said, we're, we're very disappointed. We're going to yelp about this. We're going to tell people about the treatment that we're getting on this whole tour. Um, but don't we get it? I mean, I get these people. You know, God may have brought you out of something, but it's not exactly perfect. And you say, God, how come you didn't help me? God, how where's the water? How come you're not protecting me? How come you're not providing for me? How come you're not giving me what I need? Man, we've all been in that spot, so we have no stones to throw at these people. Uh, in fact, later on in the story, you find out what the really the, the, the attitude was in these people because Moses names this place where the people are bellyaching. The Bible says this in the book of Exodus chapter, uh, same chapter, Exodus 17. Moses named the place Massah. And you would think, oh, that's where the water came from the rock. But that's not where. For it was there that the people of Israel argued against God and tempted him to kill them by saying, is Jehovah, is Jehovah going to take care of us or not? Have you ever asked God, God, are you going to come through for me? God, are you going to take care of me? God, are you going to get me through this? God, are you going to carry me the rest of the way? And Moses takes this water situation to God in Exodus 17. And Exodus 17 says, hey, Moses, I will meet you at that rock. Strike it with the rod, the one that you hit the Nile with and turns it into blood. And when you strike it with that rock that you hit the Nile with, there will be water that jets out of this stone. Enough water for everyone. And Moses did what he was told. And guess what? Water gushed out. The people of God faced amazingly horrific trials for a 40-year period. And during that 40 years, they were, they were disobedient. They were rebellious. Um, they, they, they didn't listen to God. They turned their back on God. But here's the amazing thing about our God. Even though those people turned their back on him, he never turned their back on them. He kept giving them water from a rock. He kept giving them bread from heaven. He kept giving them blessing. And I'm going to tell you what I think this means to me. God delights taking care of us. God enjoys taking care of his kids. You know, as a dad, I, can, I think I can just understand a sliver of this. 
I like taking care of my kids. I enjoy that. That's something I get to do as a parent. Whether I'm an old man or a younger man, I still enjoy taking care of my kids. God is the best dad in the world. He enjoys blessing us. He loves to see a smile on our face. He loves to see, and by the way, it's not God's job to make us happy, but I'm glad to know that at least he has honey he wants to give me. He's got pleasure for me. He's got smile for me. He has joy for me. God delights in caring for His people. God wanted to give His people a reason to enjoy life. Man, look at Psalm 81, 13. I wish my people would listen to me. I wish Israel would live my way. Because if that happened, I would give you the finest of wheat to eat. And I would give you honey from the rocks. Y'all, honey we kind of get. Wheat is nutritious. uh, Which I don't get whatsoever. Uh, Wheat's uh, where we get buckwheat. uh, Oatmeal. Uh, what's that stuff? Multi-grain bread. Uh, I think they make that with sawdust. I think that's in the Bible. Uh, anything healthy. Wheat. God says, I'm going to give you what you need to live. I'm going to give you what you need to sustain yourself. I'm going to give you what you need to grow as a Christian. I'm going to give you your daily spiritual vitamins. And that's all well and good. But you know what? I don't know about you, but I sure am glad when the snack cabinets opened up. Because that's where the good stuff is. That's where the honey is. That's where the Oreos are. That's where all that other good stuff is. And God says, not only do I have multi-grain bread for you, Mike, but I want you to look over here. I've also got jellies and jams and honey and honey butter. I've got all this for you. Man, that's our God. He said, not only do I want to get you through life, I want you to enjoy life. I've got honey for you to put on that old bread. Y'all... Being one, of God kid, mean, being one of God's kids means that we can, we can trust that He's faithful to us and He knows how to guide us and protect us in every situation, whether it's a good day or a bad day, whether we're in, a meal, uh, whether we're in the middle of a, of a field of stone or whether we're in a field of wheat. God's saying, I'm here for you. I'm still the same God no matter where you're at. Knowing that He's in control and has a purpose for us gives us assurance that, that we don't have to worry even in the middle of the deserts because in, in the middle of our deserts because God is there with us. Y'all, honey's sweet. It adds another level of flavor to your foods. Whether you like honey or not, Miss Brenda and I were talking about this in my office right before service. She doesn't like honey, but she likes honey roasted peanuts. She doesn't like honey, but she likes that. Honey makes things a little bit better. Have you ever had barbecue sauce, barbecue ribs with, with, with barbecue sauce with honey? Oh, baby. Honey's where the money's at. That's how you win contests. That's the secret ingredient. Honey makes that better. Have you ever had Cheerios? Have you ever had Honey Nut Crunch Cheerios? It makes it more better. Honey tends to make things in our life better, but honey is not necessary. You can go your whole life without eating honey. Have you ever had ham? Would you rather have a honey-baked ham? You see my point. Honey makes everything that's normally in our life just a little bit better, just a little bit sweeter. Church, he doesn't offer us, he doesn't offer us just enough joy to get by. He said, let me bring out the honey baked ham for you. Let me bring the honey roasted peanuts out for you. Let me put a smile on your face, even in the middle of the rocks. Church, God's love doesn't want us to survive only with what's essential. He gives us sweetness and joy, even in the rocky places in our life. 1 Peter 1.8, you love him even though you've never seen him. Though not seeing him, you trust him. And even now, you're happy with the, I love those words, unspeakable joy or joy unspeakable inexpressible joy that comes from where heaven itself church god has a joy from you that does not come from this terrestrial 
terrestrial ball or this physical realm. God has a joy for us that the world does not understand because it's supernatural. He has a joy for us that the world doesn't understand because they don't get it. He's saying, I have honey for my kids. I've got honey for my tribe. And it will bring you joy. Church, he doesn't give us a fake happiness. Fake happiness is based on situations. Real happiness is based upon directional. Okay? God makes me happy. God's will, God's purpose makes me happy. It's not based on situations, but it's based on the direction of him. And the joy comes from heaven. There's a popular worship song that we're going to try out this morning here in a little bit called Honey from the Rock. Uh, there's a particular line in that that I thought was just, just cool. Sweetness at the mercy seat. Now I've tasted, it's not hard to see. Only you can satisfy. Freedom from where the Spirit is. Bounty in the wilderness. You will always satisfy. Y'all, we can trust God's plan and that we know he's always protecting us no matter where we are, no matter where we go. Even in the wilderness, even in the desert, even where there are rocks. And even when we feel lost, and even when all we see is rocks around us, we know that he will give us his sweet love in the middle of those rocks. He will give us that joy in the middle of those rocks wherever we go. Even if it takes him placing honey in the rock for us, the honey's there. Y'all, God will always find a way to bring us honey. He'll always find a way to bring us joy, even in the places where it's hard to find. Remember I told you the bees preferred the trees, but if there's no place else around, they'll build their hive in the middle of a crag in a rock. God will always find a way to bring you honey. Even when you think there's no way honey can be found in this place. I'm going through a divorce, or I'm going through chemo, or I'm going through treatment. How in the world could there be honey in these rocks? I don't know. I didn't write the book, and I didn't make the promise. But what I can tell you is that if you look, you'll find your honey. It's a promise from God. I don't have to keep it. He made it. But I promise you, I don't know what kind of mess you're in right now. I don't know what kind of stones you're walking around. But if you look around, I promise you, you'll find your honey. Have you found your honey yet? Have you found it? Because it's there. God will satisfy and he'll bring us joy in the rough spots of life. Just look for it. You may not like honey, but I guarantee you, you would eat honey over some of the foods I'm going to introduce to you because they're gross. They are international delicacies, and I use that word delicacy loosely. Uh, there is this Japanese food. It's called a natto, N-A-T-T-O. It's made from fermented soybeans. And it's, it looks horribly gross. Uh, they say the smell is a combination, and this sounds very delicious, a combination of ammonia and tire fire. Uh, I'm probably not going to eat that, and you probably won't either, because that's gross. Second thing, there is a uh, New Zealand food. It's called hackerel or something. It's make it from a, a shark carcass. And it's not like Jaws. I mean, it's this big, ugly, wonky-looking shark that comes out there. Uh, they, they take this shark carcass, and from what I understand, they take this thing and they bury it in the sand for months. And then they dig it up, hang it in the barn. They cut it into strips, and that's your jerky. I ain't eating that. They say that it smells like uh, boasting a pungent and urinous fishy odor. I said it, urinous. 
I'm not going to touch it. I don't want that. That don't even sound good. From Ecuador, you can get you a big old cup of, of ground maize that people have spit into. And that's your, after, that's your after supper drink. No, thank you. I don't know where you've been. I don't know where you've had your mouth. I don't want that. There's also a dish. Uh, uh, it's, it's from the Italian Isle of Sardinia. It's called Casu uh, Marzu. It's a sheep cheese popular on that island. It's also known as rotten cheese or maggot cheese. You, I know, it's gross. You buy this cheese uh, in St. Louis, and they say that you still have to watch your eyes because the maggots are still alive and they want to jump in your eyeball. Exactly, because you were raised right. The Wall Street Journal ran an article that suggests the reason why these foreign foods to us are gross and there's no way we would eat fermented soybeans. There's no way we would eat rotten shark flesh. There's no way we would eat a big cup. There's no way we would eat a Casamar Zoo. What they said is uh, we've conditioned in our culture for what's called a disgust response. This is what the Wall Street Journal said. Disgust is one of our most basic emotions, the only one that we have to learn. And nothing triggers it more reliably than the strange food of others. What they're saying is the reason why we think fermented soybeans is bad because we grow up in a country where we don't eat fermented hardly anything. The reason why we kind of run, uh, wrinkle our nose up at fermented shark flesh that's been buried in the sand for six months and then hanging up and smells like a restroom. The reason why we don't eat that because we live in a culture that says we don't eat stuff like that. That disgust response is conditioned to us by our culture. Case in point. You go down to Louisiana and you eat some mud bugs, everybody's going to join in with you. You go up north a little bit from here and you get a big old bowl of mud bugs, they're going to stay from, away from you. They think, what are you eating? Are you crazy? You can do the same thing with catfish. You can do the same thing uh, with, with all kinds of things. For us, it's in our culture. We're okay with mud bugs. We're okay with catfish. Um, we're okay with things like that. We're okay with, uh, uh, we're okay with that because that's our culture. If we were in another culture, they might look at us and say, you guys are gross. What are you doing eating that stuff? We throw that stuff away. Our disgust is taught to us by where we are. All right, I want you to think about where we are today as a culture. Whenever people talk about God, the church, the Bible, people look at you like you're crazy and disgusted. The Bible says that about that? You're crazy. The reason why the disgust is there in, a, in our culture, especially Western culture, about God, the Bible, or His church is because we have been fed so much that the Bible is wrong, that the church is full of a bunch of crazy people, uh, that God is a figment of their imagination. They have heard this now for about 40 years. They have been conditioned to respond the way you and I do at NATO. They've been conditioned to be repulsed by it, conditioned to expel it, conditioned to be disgusted by it. But church, you and I have heard the same message. We've heard the same gospel. And it's not gross to us. In fact, it's the most delightful thing we've ever consumed. We've tasted of Him and we found that He's good. We've tasted of Him and we found that we are satisfied. Church, that's because in our day, in our time, the Bible may be called old-fashioned by the world, but today it's our favorite dish. We love it. There's nothing that can compare to it. This is what the Bible says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Church, I believe that the gospel is probably an acquired taste. Lots of people hear the Bible, but they, I'm sorry, lots of people hear the gospel, but they never buy it. You did. You bought into it. But not everybody does. 
But it doesn't change the fact He loves the world and whoever believes in Jesus has everlasting life. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. Look at uh, 119, same book. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Church, to experience the honey in the rocks. Number one, you've got to have rocks. And I would say that today there is no shortage of rocks in this room. Maybe it's a rock of addiction. Maybe it's rocks of divorce. Maybe it's rocks of a broken relationship. Maybe it's rocks of, maybe it's rocks of chemotherapy. I don't know. Maybe it's rocks of financial ruin. Maybe you're about to lose your house. I don't know. But that's your, rock. Those are, that's your field of stone. Maybe it's losing a husband. Maybe it's losing a wife. And you think you're out there in that field of rocks all by yourself and God is saying, hey, there's honey out there if you look for it. There's honey out there. I told you I'd take care of you. There's honey. And it doesn't matter what kind of field of stone you may find yourself in today. You've got to promise that there's honey in those rocks. And God's not going to cram that honey down your throat. He's not going to make you eat it. He wants us to open our mouths to receive it. He wants, us to, he wants us to want what He's got for us. He wants us to trust that He provides us with joy, even in a field of stone. I'm going to leave you with this one last thought. Would you say that a honeybee is either, would you say that a honeybee is kosher or non-kosher? Would you say that a honeybee is a clean food or an unclean food? This is interesting. Actually, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 11, and by the way, the Jewish dietary laws, you'd be surprised what's on there and what's not on there. They can't eat catfish because the fish doesn't have scales, so it's an unclean food. They can't eat pork. Uh, that's their dietary laws. But the interesting thing about the bee is the bee is actually an unclean animal. It's in Leviticus chapter 11. You can't eat a bee. It's an unclean animal. You can eat a locust, but you can't eat a bee. There's only about seven insects that are on the okay list. This is a paradox. This is a paradox. How could, how could clean honey come out of an unclean animal? And the ancient rabbis struggled with that, and it was a paradox. And what they kind of came up with is that the, the animal never actually eats the nectar so it doesn't secrete it. It regurgitates it when it comes back to the, to the hive. So that's the way they get around it. They, they say this, and this is from their books. Nothing clean can come out of something unclean. Nothing clean can come out of something unclean. But what do you do with the honey? And the weird thing is, the number one thing that stops Jews from coming to Jesus the way you have is the cross. How in the world could the Messiah die on a cross? How in the world could the Savior of the world die on a tool of execution? And so when we talk to them about the cross and Jesus, this is immediately what they think of. They think of Deuteronomy 21, that if a man has committed a crime worthy of death and is executed and then hanged on a tree, his body shall not remain on the tree overnight. You must bury him the same day. For anyone hanging on a tree is cursed by God. A Jew will read that verse and say, how in the world could a Messiah come to save me from my sins when he died on a cursed tree? Because nothing clean can come from something unclean. 
But church, you and I know exactly what the story is. You and I exactly, we know exactly what the story is. That God sent Jesus, God in the flesh, a perfect man, never sinned, hung Him on the cross for our sin, and praise God, something clean came from that unclean cross. And that's what He does in our life. In those fields where we think there's no way I can ever experience anything good. There's no way I'll ever get my my groove back. There's no way I'll ever get my smile back. There's no way I'll ever be content again. Oh, you need to remember the cross. Our God is a master at bringing honey into the rocks. Our God is a master at giving us peace in the middle of of our own personal hell. You've got to find it. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Y'all, God wants to bring you victory out of death today. He wants to bring you... He wants to bring you water out of the stone today. He wants to bring you bread from thin air today. He wants to bring you honey from the rock today. Man, who but God could bring joy and sweetness out of that thing that you're walking through that's hurting you or killing you? Who but God could bring joy and sweetness out of that valley you find yourself in or that field of stone that you're in? Man, that's our God. He's the God that in the middle of your wilderness He gives you water from the stone and manna from heaven. Water and honey in the rocks. Who but God could do that? Y'all, I'm going to ask you to please stand to your feet with your head bowed and your eyes closed. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with your head bowed and your eyes closed. You may have a field of stone that you're going through right now. And maybe you just entered the field and maybe you've been in that field a long time. Go find your honey. Go find your honey. It's there. Y'all, in a moment, I'm going to open up the invitation. This is what I'd like to do. Miss Wilma's prepared this table before us. And what it is, it's, it's a bowl full of honey with some crackers on it. If you'll notice up here, there's rocks all around it. Rocks on the floor, rocks on the table. Actually, the rocks on the table are from Israel themselves. They're from the country. They're from the land. If you want one, take it. But I want you to think about that honey from the rock metaphor. That honey from the rock image. I want you to think about the rocks that you're in. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe you're trying to get back a hold of your sobriety. Maybe you're trying to get a hold of, of your sanity. Maybe you're trying to get hold of, of a marriage that's off the rail. Maybe you're trying to get a hold of, uh, of a relationship that you're being bullied at school and you're sick of it. I don't need to tell you what your field of stone is because you know. They're all different, but they're all the same. This morning, if you'd like to claim your victory and say, God, I need, to, I need some honey in my rock field. I need some honey today. I need some honey with what I'm going through. Then in a moment, I just want you to come up to the front. I want you to come up, walk through them rocks, and get your honey off that table. And in your mind, in your heart, say, Lord, today I'm going to claim my honey. I'm not going to stop until I find the honey you have for me. Almighty God, in the name of Jesus, 
I pray for those right now who find themselves in a field of stone, who find themselves in the dry, arid places of, of hurt and failure, brokenness. And Lord, I pray for my fellow strugglers today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would tell them where the rock, where the honey is. And assure them that you've got honey for them today. And I pray blessing for everyone who takes advantage of this invitation today, Lord. Because there's victory to be had. There's joy to be had. There's smiles to be had. There is, there is gladness and joy in the house of the Lord today. In Jesus' name I pray. And amen. This morning, would you come forward? The, the table is set. Would you come and, and claim your victory? Claim your, your honey in the rock as we sing. Amen.